You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. Overcoming power. That's the name of the series. Living your life in overcoming power. And this is going to be part one. The power of the word. I don't know if you can see that with these stands here or not, but the power of the word. Amen. That's what we're talking about today. So let's pray over this message. Lord, right now, Let our hearts be open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. To each and every one of us, Lord, every individual in this house today, you've got things to say and to speak to us. I pray that you'll do that through this message. Give me the liberty to speak it as you would have me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. According to LifeWay Research, More than half of Americans have read little to none of the Bible. About 30% look up things in the Bible only when they need to. And less than a quarter of them have any kind of systematic plan for reading the Bible on a daily basis. Some, about 17%, simply flip it open to read a passage at random. Sounds kind of bizarre, doesn't it? I mean, in a, in a place where we have such freedom and we have such access to the word of God, and then we hear and read these kinds of statistics. Yet the Bible is the most published book in all of history throughout the world. The Bible, the most published book There have literally been billions of copies of the Word of God sold. Billions. So what does that tell us in light of these statistics? That there are a whole lot of people who have Bibles in their homes, but rarely read them. Amen? Now I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have at least two or three Bibles in your home? Come on, raise your hands real high. Two or three Bibles? How, how many have one? Anybody have one? No? Randy and Jill, you guys need a Bible in your home? Oh, you just can't raise your hand. Okay, once again, how many of you have two or three Bibles in your home? Raise your hands. Come on. Yeah, I got, I, well, us preachers got a few more than that. Now, I want you to look around. Everybody keep your hand up. I want you to look around. Virtually, every, except for Cooper, Everybody in this place has their hand up. Come on, what's the problem here? Do people not understand me when I talk? Stubborn, I guess. Stubborn? Is that stubborn? I don't know. 
Yeah, we don't want to say it, but yeah, yeah, I, I got you, I got you. Okay, hold your hand up. Look again. I want you to look around. Now Cooper's got his hand up. Everybody in this room has their hand up because we have at least two or three Bibles in our, in our home. Yeah, and some have a whole lot more than that. Now, just answer this question in your own mind. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. No hands. Everybody understand it? Cooper, you understand it? No hands. <laughs> when is the last time you picked up one of those Bibles and read a chapter? Not a devotional book. Not a Facebook post. Yes. Not just looking up a verse for something that would apply to something. But just to have sat with the Bible in front of you, soaking in what God was speaking to your heart. Think about that and answer it in your own heart and your own mind. Once again, according to those stats, it seems that Americans and maybe even some who consider themselves committed Christians, it's as though they are saying that the Bible is not very important. Or, it's, or, or a book of significance at all. That it has no relevance for us today. It's old. It's antiquated. But actually, the Bible, I wish Sophia Rose was here so she could have heard me say that. Actually, it's one of her favorite words. But actually, the Bible answers life's most important questions, questions that so many people ask in their hearts and in their minds. Where did we come from? The Bible has the answer to that. Now, there are a lot of people who will choose to not believe what the Bible says about it, but the Bible has the answer as to where you and I came from. God created us in his image and in his likeness, and he breathed the breath of life into us. You know, the Bible starts out with in the beginning. Simply in the beginning. It, it is a, uh, uh, the, the presumption or the uh, uh, presupposition, I guess I would say, that it just starts with God. There, there's nothing before that. In the, in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the, the, the Bible answers that question as to where we come from. How can we live successfully? Do you want to know how to live successfully? The Bible has the answers to that. Do you want to know how to have a good marriage? The Bible has the answers to that. Do you want to know how to raise your children properly? Oh boy, we better know how to do that in this day and age. The Bible has the answers. The scriptures, because it is the word of God. It, is the, it means that it's the word from God. It's not a religious book about God. It is the very word of God, the very word from God to mankind. Listen, God made us, as I said a minute ago, he created us in his image, amen? He's the maker. The Bible is the, is the manual for the vehicle, okay? So Henry Ford or... GM or whoever these guys, when you get out there and get that new leased car, you got to read through the manual just to understand how that thing even works. 
Did you figure yours out yet, Gary? You know, I mean, they got so many gadgets now in the cars, right? But, but you, you go to what? The owner's manual. And guess who owns you? The Lord. the Lord who created you. He's the creator. And we need the owner's manual. And that's the scriptures. That's the Bible. Amen. Why is the world in such a mess? A lot of people ask that. Hey, if God is so good and he's so loving and kind, why is this world in such a mess? Don't blame God. Don't be blaming God. Get in the scripture and you'll find out why this world is a mess, why there's murderers, why there's death, why there's wars, and why there's violence in the earth, why there's so much suicide. People have no hope. But the scriptures give us hope. Amen. The word of God is going to help people to overcome in this life when they're walking with Jesus. Amen. It answers this question that a lot of people may, it may cross a lot of people's minds. Who really is Jesus? If you get into the Bible and you begin to study it and you, your heart is right with God, you'll see that he begins to reveal to you that Jesus is the central figure, the central theme right from Genesis early on in Genesis, right through to Revelation. Amen. And then it'll answer this question as well. Why did he die? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Now, those of us who are Christians, we quickly answer that and say, he died for my sins. He died for our sins. Only because we know that and we've studied what the word of God says about this. Amen. Is there really life after death? Now you got all kinds of documentaries on, the tele on television. You hear all kinds of things and read all kinds of, uh, of uh, editorials or whatever you call them, columns or books written by people, uh, and asking that question. And they're all trying to find out, is there life after death? Is there life after death? And they look for this experience and that experience. And some who have come back from uh, flatlining and being dead. Uh, and so they want to know what their experiences were. All of their experiences are not the same, for sure. But, but many people who do come back from that situ situation will testify to the fact that they saw things that they never saw before. You're going to see things that you've never saw before, they seen before. Yes. You're going to experience things that you never experienced before when we get to his glory. But there is life after death. What happens to us when we do die? The Bible has the answer to those questions. We will stand before God one day, this creator who created us, and we will give an accounting of our lives, how we live these lives in this world. And whether or not we've known Jesus or not, whether we've made him our savior or not, and we will stand before him one day and we'll answer that question. And the Bible lets us know that is true. The Bible reveals to us who God is and his love for mankind. And if an unbeliever wants to know God, all he has to do is pray and ask him to reveal himself and then open the Bible and he will find God. He will find God. The Lord says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. I know before I became a Christian, back in the crazy days of the hippies and all of that kind of crazy stuff, everybody was reading books on, I mean, some of them were reading Aristotle and Socrates, and some of them were reading uh, Sigmund Freud, and some of them were reading this and reading that, and uh, everybody's looking for something. Kind of sounded like those guys at Mars Hill, always looking for some new thing to believe, you know. And uh, I, I truly... I came to a place eventually where the Lord wooed my heart and, and I came to the point of saying, I want to know you. Wow. I never wanted to know God in all of my life. I always thought I did know God. You know, I believed in God, but da, 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 you know. But I did all kinds of sinful activities with my life. I did not glorify him as God. But I came to a place of saying, I want to know you. I want to know you. And I don't take any credit for that. I believe that that was the wonderful, magna, magnificent grace of God that was drawing on my heart, tugging me to that point. But based upon that beatitude, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Amen. They shall be filled. And so all of my hippie friends that were hungering and thirsting for whatever else they were hungering and thirsting for, I don't know but they were getting wrapped up into Scientology and, and yoga and this and that and the other thing. And I, I dabbled listening to all of that stuff along the way. But my answer came from the word of God. Hallelujah. And he revealed to me who Jesus Christ was. It took a little bit of time for him to work on me, but I came to that place of what I'm saying right here. Any unbeliever who really wants to know God and seeks to know God and opens the Bible up He's going to find God. Amen. He's going to find the true and the living God. Yes. He's not going to get wrapped up in a cult. He's not going to get off here and there. If his heart is saying, God, I just want to know you. Would you please reveal yourself to me? I'm opening this Bible. Speak to my heart. That person will come to know Christ in a personal, intimate way. He won't just be somebody that you believe in out there in your head. He'll be someone who, walk, who you will walk with day by day. Amen. So, that's true if an unbeliever would do that. But I want to say this. If you and I as Christians, those who have come to know God, want to know him in a greater way, we must do the same thing. Pray to him and say, God, just like we sang today. That's why I didn't want to even stop that song. I love you. I need you more. I need you more. I need you more. I want to know you in a greater way. I want to know your ways. I want to know your purposes. And I want to know your plans for my life, Lord. We need to do the same thing. Pray and ask him to reveal himself and then open the scriptures up, just like I said earlier. Set that Bible in front of you on your table or in your lap when you're up in the morning and let God speak to you from the scriptures. Don't just rattle off three chapters because that's, that's your reading plan for the Bible to get through the year. You know, let God speak to you. Amen. My calling as the pastor of this church is to help bring you to Christian maturity. Not just so that you can feel good about yourself, but for the purposes of ministry. In other words, to get you to have more of a kingdom mentality. Amen. A kingdom mentality. Thinking about 
God and his kingdom. So that we get rid of that stinking thinking of being satisfied living a mundane, mediocre life. Of getting up, going to work every day, coming home to dinner, spend a little time fixing up something around the house or doing some hobby of yours, gluing your eyes to a TV, a computer, a cell phone, or attending to some kind of social media for hours. People spend hours doing that. But we can't pick up the word of God and spend a little bit of time with him. And then we go to bed and then we start the same cycle all over again the next day. How boring to live such a life. When you think of it that way, when somebody's up here t speaking like this and you think of your life and you're going, man, I seem to be in that kind of a rut. That sounds like my life. And it sounds so boring when in comparison, God has created us to bring glory to him and to influence the world around us. Amen. And we need to be seeking him daily as to how to go about doing that. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Now this is the word of God. That's what we're talking about today. The word of God. Amen. It says here that he gave some apostles. He's talking about gifts that Christ has given for his church. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. How many saints do I have here today in this place? Raise your hands. If you belong to him, you're a saint. You don't have to die having done miracles or anything like that. Amen. For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. My, my good friend, Dr. Dave Robinson, he's written uh, many books on leadership and, and things concerning the kingdom. And he says this. He says, the short definition for maturity is the ability to make wise decisions while controlling your emotions and mouth. Wow, what a one-liner that is, eh? To make wise decisions without emotions and without your mouth speaking and going before you make that decision. So it says here that he's given us these gifts for the, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. Everybody say work. work. That sounded like Maynard G. Krebs. That beatnik from the Dobie Gillis show. Some of you aren't old enough to know what I'm talking about. But this, but, but this cat, yeah, I got to get hip, don't I? But this cat, just to give you a little brief thing, every time the word work was mentioned, he'd go, work, work, oh, oh, work, or a job, oh, oh, no. So that's the, kind of, that's the kind of thing I got when I said everybody say work. Now, everybody say work like you're not Maynard G. Krebs. Work, work. He gave these gifts to raise up the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth or from now on be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Now, now it's not saying it in that way, but you know, sometimes we need to say that to each other. You know what I mean? Because we, we cry and we moan and we do, da, 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 and we act like little babies. And we need to say to each other, we, we need to say, hey, grow up, man. Amen. But it's talking about us being able to, uh, that he may grow us up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Can I hear you shout out every joint? You know what that means? Every member of the body of Christ. That which every member of the body of Christ supplies to the body of Christ. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make, maketh increase of the body. Are you ready? Increase of the body. Come on. Increase of the body. Say it again. Increase of the body. So he's called all of us into the ministry. Some people, they don't know that. They don't realize that. But God has called all of us into the ministry. We have a tendency to think only of the fivefold ministry gifts as those who have been called into the ministry. No, they've been called into those giftings. But you have giftings of your own that God has placed within you that are very useful to the kingdom of God. Useful to the local church. Useful to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Useful to those who do not know Christ. But it's in you. You've got gifts in you that I could only hope to have, wish I had. So this series is all about the Word of God, seeing the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, growing in the Word of God, and becoming an overcomer. Amen. Getting all of us to a place of maturity so that we will have a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But this is not just hearing with the ear. Faith doesn't come by just hearing with the ear. The ear has to be involved, amen. But how about somebody who can't hear? Sign language, right. So it's not always just by the ear. It's not talking about just hearing something in the ear. This has to do with it going off in your spirit. It has to do with your spiritual ear. There are people who hear the word of God over and over and it doesn't produce any faith in them at all. The apostle James makes it clear that we can be hearers only and not doers. 
James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. This is what he says. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein. He, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to do with just the hearing of the ear. It has to do with the perceiving uh, the truth and, and hearing what God is saying in your spirit. Everybody got that? You getting it in your spirit? That's the way he's telling, that's what he's saying there in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Second thing is that overcoming faith is believing and acting upon God's word. Overcoming faith has to do with believing and acting upon God's word. Because James says, if you're not doing that, you're just letting, it, letting the word of God come in one ear, right out the other, letting it not affect you at all. You know, we can come into church with that very attitude. Yeah, I'm really, I really not going to let the word of God affect me today. Or you can open up your heart and say, dear God in heaven, speak to me from your word today. I need to hear from you. I need to be challenged by you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, even our faith. God has given the born-again Christian the power to be an overcomer in this life. We're not just waiting around to die to go to heaven, and that's what it's all about. No, 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 no. He saved us to serve. Amen. So John says, this is the victory that overcomes. That's what I want in my life, don't you? Yes. The victory that overcomes. He's put that in us already. We need to activate that. We need to believe that and act like that. Amen? Yes. John says that this victory that overcomes, victory that overcomes doubts. There's not a person in the world that doesn't have some kind of doubt sometime or another. And most of these honest guys who have huge ministries who are on television and all around the world and everything else, and if they're honest and, and people of integrity, and I believe that they are, and they will even commit or, or confess, I have doubts. I have things come against me. But they're overcoming those doubts. Fears. We overcome those fears by the word of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that when we become fearful of something. Anxiety. We shouldn't be worrying about anything. Be anxious for nothing, the word says. Overcoming Satan's onslaughts, temptations to do that which is wrong. A poverty mentality. Pfft, boy, oh boy, 
lot of people have that kind of an, uh, uh, mentality. They think for somehow, some reason, God just wants them poor. John says that this victory is even our faith. That's how, that's how this victory comes about. That's how this overcoming comes about. Even our faith. And some people place a lot of faith in their faith. Just like, just like any other teaching uh, that comes throughout the church, there are people who take things to such extremes, they just they end up sounding wacky. Some people place a lot of faith in their faith. Yeah, I got faith, I got faith. It's not about your faith. Amen. It is not about your faith. Wait a minute, Pastor Mike. That woman pressed in to touch Jesus, him of his garden. She, he turned around and said, by thy faith, thou have been made whole. It, wasn't, it was not to do with just her faith in faith. It was her faith and her confidence and her trust that he could do something to change her life. Faith in God. Faith in this word. Believing what God says. Putting it into practice is how faith activates in our hearts because we say we believe what God said. Somebody, some old preacher said it years ago. God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. That's the way we should go about God's word. Amen. You can't overcome the world with just any kind of faith. There are a lot of people who have faith in many things, and they're not the overcomers that this is telling us about. But our faith, if we understand it in this way and say, uh, this is the overcoming power, even our faith, our Christian faith, our Christian faith, which tells us to have faith in God's word. Amen? Our faith is the overcoming power in this world. True Christian faith is in God Almighty and his holy word. That's what our faith is all about. We believe the word. What it says about God. What it says about sin. What it says about us. You're, re you're the redeemed of the Lord. You've been bought and paid for with a price. Your sins are blotted out. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. All of those things are found in the word of God. And that's when we read those things and we say, you know what? This is what God says about me. I don't care what the devil says about me. This is what God says about me. I don't care what my family says about me. This is what God says about me. I don't care what the people at work say about me. This is what God says about me. I don't care about what society says about me. I care about one thing only. And that's about what he says about me. Amen. What it says about Jesus and what he purchased for us at Calvary, we believe it. The forgiveness of our sins, the healing of our bodies, the provision of all our needs. That's what the word of God says. That's what we believe. And we put those things into practice. Physical bread is not enough to sustain us in this world. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled thee. This is Moses telling the people of God, Israel, God humbled thee. He's talking to them. God humbled thee and he suffered thee or allowed you to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not neither did thy fathers know. Now listen to this. That he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord does man live? Stop and think about that. 
These, these people were coming out of Egyptian bondage, being beaten till they were bloody in their backs, serving Pharaoh in Egypt. God gave them a deliverer, Moses. He brings them out, and they get away from Egypt, and they get out into the wilderness, and the first thing they start complaining about is there ain't no food out here for us. And start complaining to Moses, what did you do? You got us out of slavery and out of uh, Pharaoh's uh, camp, but you brought us out here for what? To die of starvation? And they began to complain. And the Lord allowed that to happen. And it says right here why he let it happen. So that they would understand their confidence was not in food. You know, they, they actually said out of their mouths, we wish we were back in Egypt. Where at least we had leeks and melons. Yeah, but your back was being stripped open and bloody. But you want leeks and melons and you're willing to go back to that? so that you can have something to put in your mouth. It's pretty powerful. Because none of us can go too very long before we can start getting hungry. Come on. But God was going to teach them something and show them something. Your provision and your sustenance in this world does not depend on what's on your table. It depends on me. Because I can put anything on your table anytime I want to. And if you're trusting in me, I'll do that. And they found that out. They had to learn that. When Satan tempted Jesus, our Lord, in the wilderness, he said, hey, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. I know you're a little bit hungry out here fasting. If you're really God, turn these stones into bread. What was Jesus' response? He quoted this very scripture. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what did he do? He turned his back on Satan's uh, temptation to turn those rocks. Do you think Jesus could have turned those rocks in, into bread? I have no doubt about that one. What was Jesus doing here? He was resisting temptation by quoting God's word. He, this is recorded in the scriptures as an example for us to follow. Jesus was an overcomer. People say, well, yeah, but Jesus was God. Jesus was working and operating in a body just like you and me. Just like you and me. But what he did, everything that he did was only under the submission of his father. He submitted his life to his father. And in obedience, he did those things. He said he didn't do anything unless he heard from the Father. Wow. So he was an overcomer. John 16, 33 says this, Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Wow. What is he saying? Because I have overcome the world, I'm going to make you overcomers in the world as well. I give you my peace. Now don't worry if things get shaken up around you a little bit from time to time because in this world you're going to have tribulation. But in the midst of your tribulation, I want you to be of good cheer knowing this one thing. You're going to overcome. You're going to get through it. You're going to face it head on and you're going to go right over top of it. 
You don't have to go around it or circumvent any problems at all. He says, he's going to be there right there with us. We're going to be overcomers. Amen. You and I have been made overcomers. We have been made overcomers. All we need to do is overcome. That's who we are, overcomers. Overcoming is what we do. I'll say that again. Overcomers is who we are. But overcoming is what we do. When all hell is breaking loose, Alex, you can be an overcomer. When all hell is breaking loose in your life, God is right there with you, and you are an overcomer. Amen. You overcome by the word of God. You overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we overcome by the word of our testimony. Amen. All of those things is what makes us overcomers in this world. Amen.